Well, grab your Bibles with me. Turn with me to the New Testament letter of Ephesians. What a joy it is to continue our sermon series to this most important book of the New Testament, faithful ministry and writing of Paul. Thankful for his work, ministry, God ordaining him to these things. Today we continue in chapter 3. You'll see there in your bulletin that we're going to be working through verse 12 and 13 this morning in a sermon that I've titled, Faith at Work. Let's read our passage today with verse 11 included to remind us of where we've been to help us set the table for what's next as we dive into God's holy word. Ephesians chapter 3, 11 through 13 This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Here in verse 11 As we studied last week, we're reminded of Paul's emphasis for the former verses that we've recently studied here in chapter 3 that have focused on the gospel of our Lord. The details of this gospel were a mystery in parts to mankind throughout the generations, but in the new covenant, God has made known the fullness of his pre-creation plan and promise to redeem a worldwide undeserving people to himself through the perfect substitutionary sacrifice of God the Son, Jesus Christ. So we read, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is Paul's way of reminding his listeners of God's covenant of redemption that has now been realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, the saving grace of God is at work and continues to be at work in and through the church as we minister and testify the life-changing gospel to a dead, in-sin world. One of the key points I made last week that I want us to recall today is the gospel and its ministry flow from grace and flow to grace. They flow from grace and point to grace. We praise God for his divine plan to save many by his glorious grace. Church, may we never move outside of grace. May we always and ongoingly be fixed in the grace that has set us free and testifying to others the grace that can set them free. Today as we move into verse 12 and 13, we're going to see some specific evidences of, of our saving faith at work. I pray that God has great things in store for each of you as we do. Look with me at verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. When Paul says in whom, he's talking about Christ. In Christ, the context of the scripture tells us that. According to the authority of Scripture alone, we are saved by 
grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We who are saved by God's sovereign decree are in Christ Jesus. As I've pointed out many times before in our sermon series through Ephesians to this point, this emphasis of being in Christ is one of Paul's most important points of emphasis in this letter. Five to ten years from now, when you are considering what it means to be in Christ, my prayer is that you would remember Ephesians is one of the prime places in Holy Scripture that we understand what it means to be in Christ and why it is such good news to be in Christ. My deep prayer is that you don't only understand this with your minds, you understand it with your hearts in such a way that it is transforming for you in how you live. That being in Christ is not just a certificate on a wall that you walk by and remember occasionally. No, it is who you are. You are reborn. You are empowered. You are motivated. You are purposed in Christ Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 1 and, and be reminded with me again as we just take this quick ride through the text we've seen so far to see how consistent Paul is to drive this point home. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul is writing to the saved saints who are in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul emphasizes that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In verse 4 of chapter 1, the elect are chosen in Him, in Christ, from eternity past, before creation. In Ephesians 1.5, we are predestined for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1.7, we are redeemed in Him. In Ephesians 1.11, we have obtained an inheritance in Him. In Ephesians 1.13, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit in Him. In Ephesians 2, 5, he says we are saved. We are made spiritually alive with Christ. In Ephesians 2, 6, we see that we're raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places. In Ephesians 2, 7, we will know the immeasurable riches of God's grace in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 2, 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. In Ephesians 2.13, In Christ Jesus, we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Ephesians 2.21, In Christ, the whole structure of the holy temple of God, who is the church, is being built. In Ephesians 2.22, In Him, we who are saved are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In Ephesians 3, 6, the mystery unveiled reveals that Gentiles, in addition to the elect Jews, are also fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And what we read today in Ephesians 3, 12 is in Christ we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Are you seeing a theme here, church? There is no denying 
that these great and glorious realities, all of this most vital change in our identity and position in eternity is absolutely dependent on our union with Christ. It is in Christ alone that we find salvation. It is Christ alone who perfectly and completely satisfies God's holy standard for us. I just ask you, just simply, are are you clear in your mind and in your heart and in your living how utterly dependent you are, Christian, to be in Christ, to be motivated in Christ, moved in Christ, empowered? May we never move or think or act outside of Christ. May we be so desperate to be plugged in and trusting in serving Him. Understand, no bribe will do. Deuteronomy 10.17 For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Please understand that no other mediator will do. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Peter says it so clearly when speaking about Jesus, Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let me ask you, are you in Christ Has God given you genuine saving faith in Christ alone for salvation? Every man and woman, boy and girl, is dead in sin and desperate for the Savior. No one is doing okay outside of Christ. They are spiritually dead in sin and utterly desperate for Christ alone to save them. Paul gives us a great imagery of this in Colossians 2 13 through 14 and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross Church, everyone who can hear, you must be made alive together with Christ. You must be forgiven all your trespasses. And this can only happen if Jesus has paid for them on the cross for you. You must trust your life to Christ, which means you are no longer in charge. You are no longer trying to make things go your way. Instead, you are joyfully submitted to Jesus in everything. Again, I ask you, are you in Christ? If not, repent of your sins and trust in Jesus and be saved. If you are, then the following good news applies to your life and faith. Look at verse 12 again. In whom, in Christ, we have boldness. The Greek word Paul uses here for boldness intends to convey not just an ability to speak freely, or an ability to be frank, to be bold. No, it's, it's that, but it's more. He's talking about a true freedom. A true 
fearlessness. In Christ, we're not just bold to take on life as it comes. We are truly fearless. Christian, think about what you have personally overcome in Christ. Think about the fact that the most vile and wretched person is made pure in Christ to such a degree that he or she can confidently approach the Holy God. The Holy God who is a consuming fire. Think about that. Nothing else you face in a lifetime will have the weight that this has. If this is true of you who are in Christ, then what do you have to fear? The reality is we who belong to God by the blood of Christ have nothing to fear. I want you to really do business with this this morning, church. Consider with me for a moment. Do some self-evaluation. What do you fear? What makes you unsettled or worried? What will you go to extremes to avoid? The loss of money? Loss of a loved one? Loss of your health? Death? The maligning of your reputation in the eyes of others? Christian, you belong to Christ. You are secure in God. Nothing can take you out of His grip. Nothing can overcome His plan for your life and your days. The key is you must see who you truly are in Christ. This is so important because in many ways it is the very root and grounding of your faith at work. Do you truly trust in God with all of your life? Is your identity truly grounded not in what others say or think about you, but who you are in Christ? Consider with me the famous words of King David as he meditates on his good and faithful shepherd. Psalm chapter 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. First, let us note that death is a part of life. It's a result of sin. 
death, while death is our enemy, Jesus has overcome death on our behalf so that when he ordains that our days are to come to an end, and that will be the case for all of us, we have nothing to fear. Do you realize that, church? Some of you have been really caught up in an honest mode of fear related to this virus, COVID-19. To the point that maybe at times it's overtaken you in your life. To the point where maybe you are not living the life God has called you to live. To the point that you are still trying to avoid it, like if you do this long enough, it's going away. Church, it's not going away. Just like all the other viruses and and accidents and killers and way that sin works and the way death works. There was truly a time where we didn't understand what this was, and so we were slow and prudent until we understood better. And now we know what we know. We need to live, church. We need to live the days God gives us for His purposes. We need to live today like it's our last and then tomorrow again, if he gives it to us, we need to, do, we need to live that day, not in a form of self-indulgence or gluttony or self-protection. We need to live in a way that glorifies God, that makes disciples and makes the testimony of the gospel known. COVID-19 is now another layer of the fallenness of this world. And another reality that we are living in the valley of the shadow of death. Do you realize when David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's not talking about a few extreme moments in his life that are really scary. He means the here and now, the life we live in this fallen world is the valley of the shadow of death. It is your entire life in this fallen world. Beloved, home is coming. Full and complete deliverance is coming. No more pain and sickness and death is coming. In the meantime, pain and sickness and death are normal. For we live in the valley of the shadow of death. We live in it. We walk in it every day. And one day as God has ordained for us, we will die in it. And we must see this rightly and who we are in Christ rightly so that what Paul's talking about here that we have a boldness, a fearlessness that that is our reality as Christians, as blood-bought children of God. Understand rightly, you may not get to hold your child tomorrow. 
You may not get to walk your daughter down the aisle. You may not see another summer with your spouse. But God doesn't owe us any of that. As great as these things are, our hope is not in these temporary things. Our hope is in Christ. Our days are for Christ. Our faith is in Christ. What He has promised us about who we are in Christ is that we are secure. We are fixed. We are forever His. This reality allows us, therefore, to live with true boldness in the midst of hardship. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you, Lord, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Christian, are you comforted by the Lord each day? Even as the storm rages, even as the results come in, even as the injustices happen, are you comforted by your Lord in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death? The Bible talks about fear in two ways. Both are important to understand. Fearful reverence for the power of God and fleshly fear that's found in sin or an overgrip on something in creation that we're worried we will lose or never obtain. The first, the Bible says there is a good and holy fear we are to have for God alone. Deuteronomy 10.20 You shall fear the Lord your God. 1 Peter 2.17 Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We can really pause this morning and consider whether or not we really have a right fear and reverence for God. Do business with that today. And if that is lacking, if that has become casual or flippant for you, then repent of that. The second kind of fear is a sinful fear that we can let play out in our hearts and minds. Like we are not in Christ, but in our hope, our our power, our security, our, our satisfaction is in the circumstances of our life. What are we afraid of in this life? Evil? Scary things? The dark? Monsters? Bad guys in dark alleys? Maybe losing someone you love? Maybe losing your own life? God's Word tells us there is life in Christ a loving Christ that gives us the power to not fear losing any of these things. Because you cannot lose what is secure in God's hands. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If you are scared of losing your life, then your life may not be secure in God's saving grace through Christ. Or you don't understand that you are secure in Christ and therefore you are needing gospel reorientation to this truth. When our faith is at work 
and we're rightly living out our identity in Christ, we truly believe in what Jesus says. Here his words in Matthew 10, 28. He says, Do not fear those who can kill the body. but cannot kill the soul. I, 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 could, I could, in a healthy way, put the application. Do not fear viruses that kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear Him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Church, hear God's words to his people in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And you might be sitting here, Pastor, this is, this is lofty. This is not real. You cannot truly be without fear, especially fear of death. And I would just say, to answer that biblically, look with me at a testimony we see, one of my favorites in Acts chapter 7. Quickly, here's a brother in Christ named Stephen who just finished testifying. And at the end of that testimony, it says this in verse 54, Acts seven fifty-four. Now then they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of the young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. See the power of the gospel in this very testimony. The one named Saul in this passage is the author of our letter, Paul. See how far he's come. See the gospel transformation in his life. But specifically this morning, see the testimony of Stephen. They're stoning him to death. This is not a way that any of us would choose to die, to be hit with stones again and again and again until you're dead. He prayed, Lord, do not hold this against them. He's about to be murdered at the hand of an angry mob. And he is fearless. Why? Because he understands that this world and this life are not his home anymore. This was his mission field. He understands that he is alive in Christ. And his purpose was to bear witness, which he's done. And that witness cost him his life. The wisdom of man would say, don't go to that location. Don't preach that word to those people. So you might save your life. No, the testimony of Scripture, the call of the Lord on, on Christians is to put it all on the line for the testimony of the Lord. And we walk by faith. Stephen understands what sometimes we miss. 
that this life is not about comfort or retirement or bank accounts or vacations or nice cars. It's about testimony of the living God who took on flesh and died in our place so that we can enjoy Him forever. Let's, let's trade the counterfeit trinkets for the real thing. Church, this is why we don't remove ourselves from the days that God has called us to live and to suffer. Instead, we live, we thrive, we serve, we worship, we disciple, we testify. Christian, you will not fear when you have nothing to lose. Paul understood this. He says in Philippians 3.8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul has no fear of losing everything because of what he has found in Christ. Again, listen to David's words, Psalm 23.4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Our boldness, our fearlessness in the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, needs to be solid. It needs to be fixed on His promises. Listen to Jesus' words about us, the church. John 6, 39-40 And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And then again in chapter 10, John 10, 27-29, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. And the promise that He will not leave us nor forsake us. Our boldness, our fearlessness, church, is in the promises of God. Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Even tens of thousands of shadows of death come over us. We shall not fear because He, Jesus, is with us. He has this church. You must know this and never forget it. So it shapes the way you live your life. So it shapes your faith in the midst of the scariest moments. Very resounding testimony. I've shared it with you many times. Pastor found his daughter underneath the table who had taken a full round bite out of an apple and it had lodged it perfectly in her throat. She was blue. She was dying. She was about to be dead. And as he tried to, to help loosen it, he just kept praying, she's yours, not mine. She's yours, not mine. She's yours, not mine. Why? Why would he say that? To put his faith to work, to remind himself that she is not his treasure. She is not his hope. She is not his purpose. The Lord is. 
That his faith would be at work in that moment to hold rightly the temporary things. That faith would not be put on the shelf to have a moment of panic and fear and regret. But faith would go to work. I love Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The New Living Translation is the way I memorized this years ago. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. In Christ, our faith at work means we have true boldness true fearlessness praise god amen may it be so if you're finding this is not how you're living lately then praise god for his illumination and conviction in this area of your life that you would repent of it own it confess it to a brother or sister in christ and turn from it invite others to join you to help you, to hold you accountable. Look with me at the next layer of our faith at work. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Paul has already mentioned our access to God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, through Him we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Consider this amazing news, that in Christ we have access to God the Father, through God the Son, by the power of God the Holy Spirit. Church, this is huge news. In Christ we are reconciled to the triune God. Understand with me, this is access like no other high-cost access. It's better than the best backstage pass to your favorite band. It's better than access to walk about the White House as you please. It's better than access to a huge bank account. In every way, it's better. It is access to the living God who is set apart, who is holy. 1 Chronicles 29.11 Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. He's exalted, church. He's reigning above all things. There's nothing higher, nothing greater. He's holy, which means he's set apart. Hallowed. God is not common. I want you to see how big God is. I want you to see his set-apartness how great He is, how worthy He is, and then stop and realize you have access to Him through Christ. Beloved, in Christ you have access to God. Consider for a moment what this does to how we go about this life, how we live out our faith. Paul says in Romans eleven thirty-three 33-36, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The riches of God are really, really, really deep. The knowledge of God is really, really, really deep. That's why Paul says, oh. He owns it all. You can't give a gift to him that you might be repaid. You can't put God in your debt, church. You can't give God something he doesn't already own. No one can counsel God and give him insight, improve on his design, his plan, his purpose. His judgments are said to be unsearchable. His ways inscrutable, unfathomable. The meaning that they're understood by the mind of God, but not the mind of man. They're unsearchable. The depths are unsearchable. And what does God do? He's due glory. We need to have a bigger view of God, church. A wider lens. To see how massive and majestic He is. And when we do, then we see how amazing it is that we've been giving access to Him through Christ. Rejoice with me the unfathomable fact that our access to God is free to us. Realize this access is free to you. It costs you nothing. There is no expensive ticket price that you have to pay for your access to God. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the sobering fact is that our access is not free. It came at an extremely high cost. It's the most expensive. So high we couldn't pay for it in a lifetime with our best efforts. It was free to to us, but consider with me for a moment how much it cost Christ. Praise God for the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Consider with me the last part of verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. How do we have such overwhelming fearlessness, access, confidence in Christ? Paul's answer is clear, through faith in Christ. Scripture defines faith in Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In other words, faith is a deep confidence that the promises of God will come true. We believe it so much, we trust our lives to it. Faith doesn't create what we hope for. That would be a, a mere mind game. It is truly trusting the promises of God. It is one who says, I will take my life off the temporary failed things I can see and trust in and put it on the eternal absolute promises of God whom I can't see, but in whom I totally hope. It is a hope in God's ability to deliver in opposition to the things that we previously hoped in that can't deliver. 
Psalm 34, 8, O trust and see, O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Herman Bobby, late great Dutch Reformed theologian, says it this way, Faith in Christ enables believers, in spite of all the riddles that perplex them, to cling to the conviction that the God who rules the world is the same loving and compassionate Father who in Christ forgave them all their sins, accepted them as His children, and will bequeath to them eternal blessedness. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. Beloved, I ask you today, is your faith at work in these ways? Producing fear-crushing boldness joyfulness from true and lasting access to God, confidence to trust in and remain in God's promises. See how Paul has set the table to remind his blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ who they are and what it looks like when their faith is at work. He's doing this so they will fight the temptation to fear and sin, to, to complain that what they have in God is not enough. They'll fight that. He's doing this, church, to encourage them to finish in faith. And so I preach this sermon to you today from this text that you will fight the temptation to fear and sin. Fight the temptation to complain that what you have in God is not enough so that you will finish in faith. Look at verse 13 as we prepare to close. So I ask you, not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Do not lose heart. is another way of saying don't lose faith. Even in the greatest personal struggle, even when you're watching someone you love suffer like Paul, as he suffers for his brethren in jail, he says don't lose faith. Church, our faith in Christ alone must go to work every day and not be overcome by sin or suffering or temptation or circumstances or even death. Charles Hodge said it well, because we have access to God, the sum of all good, we ought to be superior to all the afflictions of this life and maintain habitually a joyful spirit being the subjects of such a redemption and having this liberty of access to God. Believers ought not to be discouraged by all the apparently adverse circumstances attending the propagation of the gospel. Yeah, the world's on fire. Yeah, hate is rampant. Injustice is rampant. You know what? The world is acting like the world. Because it's lost in sin. And the answer is not, hey, I hope our community is better. I hope people get better. No, they're not going to get better. They need Jesus. They need you to be bold and to reveal that your access to God is worth more than anything they're trying to chase. That they see the gospel at work. Paul says here in verse 13, it's for our glory. It is for our good that we endure, that we continue in faith. Beloved, you will be blessed for honoring God. 
despite how the world sees it or agrees with it or understands it, you will be blessed for righteous living. You will be blessed even for suffering. And we will suffer. But it is our joy to suffer for our good and for his glory. James 1-2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. If we really get who God is and what he's done to set us free and who we now in our how who we now are in Christ, then we will see our exile in this time, in this valley of the shadow of death, with right eyes. And so I plead with you, God, on behalf of my brothers and sisters, don't take us off the battlefield. Keep us in the game. Even when blood's running down our our broken body, even when we can't see out of our swollen eyes, Lord, keep us in. Don't let us find our way to the sidelines. Don't let us get comfortable in time out. Let us, don't let us become spectators, Lord. Keep us engaged by faith until you take us home. For we do not treasure this life. We treasure the life that you've prepared for us. We walk by faith in this time. Church, glory is coming. We must walk by faith in the here and now. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Romans 8.18 For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in, in this text. To, to gather and, and study your holy word, to, to be blessed with the written word of God, to be blessed with your words for us that, that, that teach us and correct us and, 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 and motivate us and send us and instruct us. Lord, we are desperate for you to continue your work, the Holy Spirit, to continue to ground us on the rock that is Jesus Christ, our identity, our motivation, our purposes. Lord, that radical confession, humble confession, and repentance would come, surprising. The Lord has broken me. I see my sin. I am sorry. I confess it. I long to be all of God's, to do what He has for me in every way He's called me to do. Forgive me. May may we be people of reconciliation. May we be people who are known in in our reputation for dying to ourselves to live to Christ. For Christ alone is the solid rock, cornerstone. In Christ, we are victorious. In Christ, we press on. Hear us now as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.